Welcome to Two Reels Podcast, where we take a recent film or whatever qualifies as a film these days and find its perfect, unique double feature pairing. I'm your host, Rod, and I am here with Davey. How's it going, Davey? Doing great, Rod. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm really excited to talk about (laughs) this new film with you, A Christmas Gift depending on how you felt (laughs) about it, which I think people felt a lot of different ways about it. But we'll chat through that. Our film today is Wonder Woman 1984, the new Wonder Woman film, the second film in what I think will probably be a very long-running franchise, though depending on what you've been hearing in the last like five or so days, like, Who knows, actually, what the future of this franchise is. Um, This is the second film in the Wonder Woman franchise. It picks up with Diana, our titular character in Washington, D.C., in the year 1984. She is an archaeological expert for the Smithsonian Museum, working alongside a nebbish, jealous uh, co-worker named Barbara, who wants very badly to be just like Diana, and her wish is able to potentially come true because one Maxwell Lord played to infinity by Pedro Pascal comes into contact with, you guessed it, a stone, which is the legal obligation of all these movies to have a magic stone, Who and he suddenly gains the ability to grant people their wishes and trouble follows soon after. My life hasn't been what you probably think it has. We all have our struggles. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. Now, I take what I want in return. Everyone will see. Before we talk about this new Wonder Woman film, Davey, do you want to tell me what did you think of the first Wonder Woman film, which came out in 2017, 2016, I think? It's like been a minute. Yeah. I I mean, I love the first Wonder Woman. It was, I I thought it was the best thing DC has done since the Dark Knight movies with Christian Bale. And Uh I, I mean, it was just nice to see DC do anything good and... So I was just jazzed. I thought this was the only one they had a chance with. I think the first one, I'll, I'll admit the bar was pretty low for DC movies going into Wonder Woman. So the fact that it was relatively solid was also because so many of the other ones had been brutal. And you're right. It was definitely probably the best one since Dark Knight because once the Zack Snyder DC era, I feel like, started when they were trying to kind of play catch up with Marvel's like world building and like cinematic universe building. That's sort of when things I feel like fell kind of askew a little bit. The thing that blows my mind most about these DC movies all being such shit is that they're following the Marvel movies. So there's actually a blue, (laughs) there's a blueprint for them. They, all they have to do is do what Marvel did with their characters and worst case, they're just a little bit less good version of Marvel. But it's like they're doing this their own thing and they can't quite figure it out. And that's what I think has been killing them with everything they've made. 
I know. I think so, too. It's, yeah, it's true. It's like you'd think the blueprint was there, but for some reason, everything just feels truly like a Kirkland brand version of Marvel instead of feeling like it has its own identity. I mean, I do think those those Nolan Batman films really set this, like, intense precedent where everything had to be dark in some way, even though I don't find, like, the Zack Snyder DC films to be necessarily that dark. They look, they're literally dark. Like, they're coloring... <laughs> yeah is dark um like they look like they have like a tobacco like like resin on the filter or something but they're not like dark or gritty or realistic in like any other way and yet it feels like they're trying to find some balance between that and the marvel thing and i think that's where everything falls apart but i do think that's why the first wonder woman was so was relatively enjoyable it feels like they're trying to film pg movies in a strip club basically it's like this that's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's exactly it's what like it is. It's like dark lights, sexy costumes, evil villains, but then it's just like full of cheesy punchlines and dumb totally. jokes. And every male superhero looks like a bouncer. Like they're <laughs> literally overly, they're built in a way that's psychotic. Yeah, it's 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 so weird it's not even necessarily bad performances like i think ben affleck does fine as batman i think that uh, momoa or whatever his name is did fine as aquaman and i think gal gadot's probably the best of all of them so it's it's just bad script writing it's bad special effects it's like somebody doesn't understand the tone or maybe too many cooks in the kitchen i don't know what it is but it just always feels like something's missing and Wonder Woman, that first one, was the only one that didn't really feel like that. Like, it kind of felt like the first Captain America. It had this Definitely. throwback to an... The World War One setting. Yeah, too. exactly. An old war. It's dark. There's some pretty heavy sort of themes around um, people, like, mass murdering and being in military training and just some really dark stuff mixed with a character who you love. And that's why I think the first Wonder Woman was so good. And this one just lacked all of that. It was so nonsensical. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's get into Wonder Woman 1984. I'm just going to tell you from the jump, Davey, and we should tell our listeners, I do feel like you and I are pretty, like, we're like comic lovers, right? Like, I feel like we're going into these movies with, like, not necessarily expecting to walk out loving it by default, but, like, we got love for this type of film. We love our, like, superheroes and stuff, right? Yeah, we should be the easiest people to please because we love them and we're not snobby assholes about them. Right, exactly. Okay, tell me... Okay, in order to talk about Wonder Woman 1984, the, I feel like the most obvious just, like, macro start is did this film just make any, like, coherent sense to you? Did the story make sense to you? It made sense in a way where if somebody tells you, a, asks you a riddle, have you ever had a riddle that somebody asks you and you spend hours trying to figure it out? And then finally <laughs> they give you the answer. And it's not like a, oh, moment. It's like a, well, fuck you for letting me try and figure that out for an hour. That's not a real answer. Right. The, it made right. sense in that way. Like, yeah, the loose ends were tied up, but... They should. It should have never been the plot in the first place. Like all of the motivation and guiding stuff happening in this movie, it doesn't make sense why it's even there. Agreed. Agreed. I I felt lost in this movie 
because I, I felt like one of the things that's really interesting about the first Wonder Woman is it has a really sort of like linear way of thinking about how like information works like you are learning things as you go it's pretty much you know it's not a very complicated film the first Wonder Woman Wonder Woman 1984 to me I feel like I was picking up like pieces of rules of how things worked as they were happening so to give everybody a content this is a spoiler I guess but I feel like this is actually just like us being like a Sherpa and like walking you (laughs) through this like surprisingly complicated movie the way in which this magic stone works the rules of how this idea of granting wishes what's taken um how maxwell lord becomes like a physical embodiment of the stone um all of these things the fact that diana in wishing for spoiler alert chris pine does come back um and he is actually i think one of the high points of the film he's great but the way the way in which like her powers are given up because she wishes for him i felt like those those loose ends weren't tied up i never understood why every wish in this film has like a consequence that has nothing to do with the wish itself do you know what i mean a hundred percent the and one thing that i think we left out a little bit in the description is kristen wig finds this stone it's an old archaeological stone you're right when you touch it it grants you a wish that's what we know for about the first third of the movie then Max Lord wishes to be the stone. And uh, that's at the start where you go, what the fuck are they thinking? Like, that makes no sense. (laughs) I thought he was just going to turn into a stone and it was going to backfire and he'd disappear for the rest of the movie. But instead, the stone disappears into him. And yeah, then it goes from the stone kind of picking a consequence to your wishes. Like if you wish for... It's like the Midas touch thing, right? If you wish that everything you touch turns to gold, you end up realizing you can't touch anything without it turning to gold, so it ruins everything. The stone seems to want to do those, but then once Max Lord becomes the stone, all of a sudden he just gets to decide the consequences? He dictates the consequence. Things that have nothing to do with each other, right? At one point he's literally like, don't you wish there was no traffic? Now I will take your health. (laughs) I was like, is there any, like, relationship? Like, really just, like, the... Or owner or like the stone itself decides things that arbitrarily and it works and check this out this is what blew my mind max lord's clearly been looking for this stone for a while this is something that he he wants to find and his grand scheme in looking for this stone isn't to wish for 10 million dollars or to wish to be the president or anything like that his plan that clearly he's been concocting forever is to wish to be the stone that is, the, how is right. that what you imagine when you think of a stone that grants wishes? I guess to me, it felt sort of like the idea of like wishing for more wishes. You know how that's like one of like the genie's three rules in Aladdin that you like can't do. You can't wish for more wishes. That to me felt like he had the ability to suddenly just grant himself unlimited wishes by becoming, by becoming the stone. I was like, was there no like, I don't know, Themyscarian like loophole like reader, like when this like stone was being made, like... I don't understand how any of this worked, but I will say, and this is going to be a twist to you, Davey, even though I have all these problems with this film, I kind of liked it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I kind of liked it, and I can't figure out why, even though I think it's a total mess. But were there, what were your high points of the film, if you, if you had any? 
Well, I can't shit on this movie like I could shit on Justice League or something like that because I I, I enjoyed watching it. But the high points for me, Gal Gadot, love her. Chris Pine. I love her. She's so good. And Chris she's Pine. She's so good. You know, and speaking of, we'll get to our pairing soon, but her accent never throws me off. It's like more endearing for some reason. Yes. And Chris Pine is great. I even think that the dude who plays Max Lord is pretty good. It's just his The character. Mandalorian. The Mandalorian yeah. himself. And the, the dude from Narcos. Like he. Correct, right. He's pretty good. It's just his character motives don't really make any sense. But I generally liked watching their performances. Uh, I liked... No, that's about it. <laughs> I, think, I think I covered it front to back. That's that's fair. Okay, here are the things I kind of like about this film. And tell me if I'm being psychotic. So one, I agree. Gal Gadot, is, I think she's so great. And like, I don't think she has a really like deep acting. I don't think she has a lot of range as an actor. Mm-hmm. But I find her, it's exactly like you said. She's just very like, I, she's so sincere. And there's this way in which she feels both so strong and so soft at the same time that I feel like is exactly what the Wonder Woman character needs to embody, but is like one of those things that you can't really land on. I really think she she reminds me of the closest thing that DC has found since Christopher Reeve, where they found somebody mm-hmm. that really is this embodiment of not just like what the character looks like in the comics, but like what they're able to exude, this like real warmth. I just find her to be really, really warm. And I just kind of am like, obsessed with watching her on screen as Wonder Woman. I just like really like her. I think the reason I left this movie, and by left I mean like left my couch, because this is, for all who don't know, available on HBO Max simultaneously as other theaters, though I don't know which theaters are open. It reminded me a little bit more of like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Like it had this like lightness and this real like comic logic. Like I hated how little sense it made, but I also kind of was able to surrender some of that to this real comic book feel. Like, I just felt like the scale of it was just small enough and it had this, like, lightness and this way in which things were just kind of introduced. And she has this line at one point in the opening scene in this mall where she's like, like, I hate guns. Like, someone pulls out a gun. She's like, I hate guns. And that just felt like this real comic booky throwaway line that, like, would almost be, like, internal monologue or something. And I like that they weren't setting anything up for once. I feel like that's been the most exhausting part of these DC films. This, like, this Marvel desire to, like, create this world where everything is setting something else up. And I kind of felt like for the first time in, like, I don't even know, like, six, seven years, this movie kind of existed in a vacuum a little Mm -hmm. bit and was just kind of this, like, one-off adventure. And all the things that didn't work about it to me, I feel like at least the movie failed on its own merits. Yeah. The Raimi Spider-Mans is actually a really great comparison. My issues with this movie had nothing to do with it not making sense, weirdly enough. I was okay with that. Okay. Kind of for the same reasons you mentioned. It's a comic book movie. I'm not looking for it to be a perfect puzzle. It kind of writes its own rules a lot throughout. I Certain mm-hmm. things start happening where, like, wait, can Wonder Woman fly? How far does the whip go? And... Right. If you read, can she make things invisible? What about that? <laughs> right. And, and if you read the <laughs> comics, I'm sure at some point all of that is mentioned. But if you don't, right. it's just kind of like every time that you need something, it turns out somebody can do it, and it's never right. mentioned beforehand. Even that didn't bug me 
that much because that's a very comic thing is like you know 30 years after spider-man's created there's still a debate about whether he has web cartridges or whether he can make the webs himself i'm okay with like unclarities and character abilities what i didn't like about it were things like i thought the first scene was really bad where it's the little girl racing all these people in whatever wonder woman land is because it the, the mascara yeah davy the mascara <laughs> sorry the, sorry did you say the mascara wow the fact let's this movie this movie's canceled for anyone listening this movie is canceled yeah um i thought that scene was terrible because it looks so fake and that's some of the stuff that i can't believe they haven't figured out from watching marvel movies all of her flying looks really fake like when it looked like the flying scenes were made in 1990 to me and uh a lot of the fighting looked really bad and then are there no stakes to violence in this? And that's the thing is the first Wonder Woman had some really kick-ass action and this just didn't. So my problems with the movie were more just, it didn't look the way I wanted to. And from that very first scene, I just realized this is going to be a kid's movie. You mentioned the repercussions or like the violence or what's happening. The other thing about this movie is what are the repercussions at the end? What happens to Maxwell Lord? (laughs) Do you think? Does this dude go to jail for all the havoc that he wreaks? Or is it just like, okay, on to the next? No, he has a great relationship with his son. And <laughs> everything's fucking after. Thank God. It was just a Thank big God. lesson for him. It was a Christmas lesson. And he made a couple mistakes. Like, you know, tricking people into killing each other and stealing their health and ruining people's lives and starting wars. But in the end, it was just a great way for him to learn how to love his son. I think that's also a really great segue into your pairing, um, which I think is 50% troll and 50% completely accurate. So I'm going to let you introduce what our perfect double feature is for Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah. So as you know, I always like to choose a pairing that I actually would want to watch either before or after the movie. Mm-hmm. So I went with the 1996 Christmas movie, Jingle All the Way. Getting it is every child's dream. Whoever doesn't can be a real loser. Finding it. You got the doll, right? Is this father's nightmare. I'll get that toy. I promise. Whoa! Nothing like waiting till the last minute, I would say. Especially on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger is your all-American mattress salesman, which... (laughs) (laughs) Pre-Casper. This is actually an origin story for Casper. And he's like... He keeps being referenced in this movie as like a rich, doing well dude. He sells mattresses, man. And he's like... (laughs) And he's like working on Christmas. He's, He's too busy to have time for his son, who's like this cute little kid. Who's getting his purple belt in karate? I think that's young Anakin. Am I right? It is young Anakin. Yeah, it is young An- Jake Lloyd, right? Yep. And he's terrible in this. I don't know who watched this and thought we have our we have our we have our Anakin. Anakin. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Arnold Schwarzenegger is trying to make up for missing his son's karate class. To do so, he has to get him an action figure called Turbo Man. And they've been sold out for weeks. His wife had reminded him a long time ago. He forgot. 
So the whole movie is basically him trying to find a Turbo Man action figure. Sinbad is the, our other main character who's also looking for a Turbo Man action figure. And basically, they're just fighting with each other slash pretty good buddies throughout the movie. True it's, frenemies. <laughs> true frenemies. And at the end, or near the end, Arnold Schwarzenegger finds his way into an actual superhero outfit, Sinbad into an actual supervillain outfit. And they have a true like comic-style battle. And everybody's everybody's happy in the end. I, I guess I can spoil it, but Arnold Schwarzenegger's yeah, he... <laughs> kid realizes that what he really wants for Christmas isn't the Turbo Man doll, but it's time with his dad. You're definitely right. And also the connection really is that in the end, the quote-unquote villain, anti-hero, depending on what you think of Max Lord, all this leads to is a reconciliation with his very young son. <laughs> yeah, like Sinbad is going to jail in Jingle All the Way for blowing up a group of police officers who survive, <laughs> <laughs> threatening to bomb a radio station, trying to kill and kidnap a child in front of the entire city, and also beating up an actor to steal his costume. But everything's okay because he gets his action figure and his son's going to be happy. Whenever he gets out of jail, um, it is going to be a lovely delayed Christmas morning in the Sinbad household. <laughs> we should say he's a post. He's a postal worker, and in this year, we really want to love our essential workers. This is a really 2020 relevant film to watch. Um, I loved Jingle all the way when I was a kid. Did this movie come out in theaters, or was it straight to video? I don't remember because I only saw it and had it on VHS. I'd have to guess that because at the time Arnold and Sinbad were both such big deals, it must have come out in theaters. I also just remember as a kid being like, why isn't Turbo Man a real superhero? He was like the Rocketeer meets like Iron Man. I was like, I'm kind of into this dude. He has a little Batarang thing. It was like the perfect fusion of all the superhero things that I like. Yeah, I remember seeing it as a kid and all I wanted was a jetpack. Same. I guess like, oh. Same. We should say... <laughs> We should say that he has a working jetpack in this film. It is not just a prop. The Thanksgiving Day Parade in Minneapolis had somehow crafted a real jetpack for Arnold Schwarzenegger's father character to fly in. And relatively user-friendly. I mean, he's never been trained in it, and after a couple of minutes, he kind of has it figured out. 100%. The thing that, because I hadn't seen it in a few years, the thing I, do, I did not remember was that at the very end when he saves his son from the clutches of, like, Doctor Doom Mars attacks, he literally, like, flies into the air. It's not just a jetpack that, like, propels him, like, 10 feet into the air. He, like, zooms up, zooms around, lands safely. Like, Arnold figures out how this bitch works real quickly. No problem at all. And... It, this movie just makes so many things look great. It makes Christmas parties look great. That one in the beginning at the mattress company looks like the best Christmas so party lit. ever. <laughs> they're doing like so lit. They're doing like the tango. The spread is amazing, and it's worth noting this it's is so good. the mattress sales company, and somehow <laughs> it is like the best place <laughs> in the world to work. Not only that, it, the party is truly lit. Everyone is absolutely blacked out. But this mattress company is so, so busy that Arnold Schwarzenegger is on like five calls back to back where he's like, you're my number one customer. You're my number one customer. Literally, people are calling in a few days before Christmas screeching 
for mattresses. <laughs> this is the most booming industry in 1996. It's a pretty amazing just film in general. Like so much of the stuff that goes on is crazy, but Sinbad is really funny and Phil Hartman is fucking hilarious. He's so good. His face, his like deadpan face is truly on some other shit. Like rest in peace to the goat. I love me some Phil Hartman. I know. I read his Wikipedia right after watching this. It's just crazy how he died. Like murdered in your sleep by I think his third wife. Literally by his third wife who for fans of SNL, she is the, you know how SNL in the opening credits when they're like announcing the cast they're all doing this like little thing in like the city of new york where it'll be like phil hartman and he's like sitting in like a booth at a restaurant mm-hmm. the, talking to a woman and the woman's back is to the camera that is the woman who killed him that is his third wife in the opening credits of all that snl all those snl episodes oh my god he must have the most fun role in this movie because he plays the like sleazy neighbor who's now single all the neighborhood moms have a crush on him and he is just trying to take over Arnold Schwarzenegger's family. And he's just so out of his lane. Like, he just... Him standing next to Arnold like, Schwarzenegger. Like, Rita Wilson's hot. Rita Wilson's hot. Like, yeah. it's insane that Phil Hartman thinks he can just scoop Rita Wilson from Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> the, the strongest man ever. What I always love about Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, they never mention how strong he is, and they never mention his accent. But there's one line in this movie where Phil Hartman goes... Bench presses aren't going to save you from this one. He's the only person who acknowledges Arnold Schwarzenegger's physique in suburban Minneapolis. He is the only person who is looking at this person being like, what are they doing here? What's actually happening? Can I be honest? I kind of loved Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie. I forgot how much he's able, how sweet he's able to be. Like you're watching this and you're like, I, why do I believe everything that Arnold Schwarzenegger is communicating. Like, why do I feel that Arnold... Why do I believe that Arnold Schwarzenegger is able to be this, like, dude who's on, like, It's a Wonderful Life, I've, like, fucked up too many times tip. It's it's very surprising. And I, I'm i someone who has Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, B-side blind spot. Like, I haven't seen Junior, the movie where he's pregnant. Mm. I haven't seen Twins, the movies where he's Danny DeVito's twin. Like, there's all these, like, weird Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, movies that I feel like play around with a bodybuilder action hero and i've just never seen any of them i'm like only well versed in like the arnold schwarzenegger canon like i fuck with eraser so hard that was like one of my favorite <laughs> movies as a kid and i feel like this is one of those movies where i'm like wait can, i know this dude can't necessarily act and he does kind of remind me of gal gadot in that way where i just for some reason like i know he's so shallow in his acting ability but i really love him and i really just buy into anything he does and i just really like him i like miss arnold schwarzenegger yeah i hope that gal gadot follows a similar path because for arnold it was basically terminator and you didn't really care that he had an accent or couldn't act in terminator because he's playing a robot right and then he just went on and all of a sudden he played like this american hero in all these movies and Gal Gadot, it kind of feels like she was perfectly cast for Wonder Woman. But you hope that she'll just start getting into a bunch of movies. Because the only other thing I can really think of with Gal Gadot before this is the Fast and the Furious franchise. Right. Which she's great in. But I hope that she is in more stuff and gets recognized as just being insanely charming. It's going to be hard. I think, like, 
the sort of like flexibility of the movie star back in the day just doesn't exist in the same way like Arnold being able to do so many different kinds of film because he was so famous as Arnold Schwarzenegger I feel like nobody is that famous anymore as an actor to just like make people buy into everything but I hope I'm wrong because I really do like her I can't tell you why but I really do I think she's just like so lovely my question for you do you think this should be a Christmas classic because I do feel like even our generation that grew up with it sleep on Jingle all the way yeah it's a movie that I hadn't seen or thought about in 15 years until a couple years ago and it was on cable and I watched it and I was like, oh, it shit. It has big TBS energy. Yeah, it does. But I don't think it's considered a Christmas classic. I think, if anything, it will be a kid's Christmas classic. Totally. A movie I'll have to force my future kids to sit down <laughs> and watch and reject any questions they have. Okay, my one two real category question for you is Freaky Friday. How would the films work if you switched the protagonist but kept everything else the same? Uh, outside of outside of gender uh, roles being switched, yes, yes. I, I feel like it would be a bullseye. If we're switching Maxwell Lord and Oliver Schwarzenegger, it's the same movie. Let's just say it; it's the same movie. Yeah, there's <laughs> the one really pop out character that we didn't bring up before. I thought Kristen Wiig was really good in Wonder Woman eighty four. We literally did not even mention Kristen Wiig. Okay, let's backtrack. We gotta talk about Kristen Wiig because I agree, even if you don't really think that this cheetah character works for a multitude of reasons, the CGI for me, it's like literally the CGI for me. <laughs> um, I also think that for some reason, she's a very commanding, not for some reason, but she's just a very commanding actor, like a literal actor. Like when she is delivering lines that are kind of cheesy, like, like I will never give my wish up, like I'm never going back or like whatever she says. For some reason, I just really found her to be a solid co-star in the film. Yeah, and she has that thing going for her where most people view her as a comedian. When she puts on a good performance, it's extra noticeable because you're not used to seeing it. But from just a pure acting chop standpoint, she might have been the best part of Wonder Woman 84. I'm like, I really like pedro pascal in this film he i was think good. he's dialing it on 250 percent, but i think he knows what kind of film he's in and i feel like most of the time i'm going to these movies i'm like i feel like these actors don't know what movie they're in like they are just not able to i miss when people hammed it up a little bit it kind of gave me like uma thurman honestly arnold schwarzenegger batman and robin vibes there's just a lot of like hammy ass big acting but i feel like he actually sets the tone of the film and every time the movie fails for me it's because no one's able to rise up to like the level of tone that pedro pascal is setting for the most part mm -hmm. i really like him like him in it and we should talk about briefly before we hand this over to young joey bean Khan. but there's a lot of very bizarre trumpian stuff going on in this film that i feel like is worth chatting with did you pick up on any of that did that register for you so i watched this movie with my parents and to two things that we've talked about first to what you mentioned earlier where it feels like no questions are getting answered in this movie my right. mom did the thing that a lot of people do when they watch movies where she goes wait are we supposed to like him wait is he a bad guy wait is there a reason that he's doing this? And normally that really pisses me off because I'm like, did you not hear earlier when they said blank or remember when this happened? But like all of my mom's questions were warranted and all of my responses were like, we really don't know why 
he wants to be the stone. We don't know why he's able to just choose consequences. And so that was a funny side for my mom. And then my dad the whole time just kept going, he's just Trump. This is just Trump. It's just all about Trump. And so I don't I don't know if I would have noticed it. And my dad, all he does all day is watch the news. So I thought maybe he was overselling how much it was like Trump. But I could see that. Just like the power hungry, doing things really with, without any actual purpose or end cause, but more just to do them. I mean, let me paint a picture of why this shit was undeniably Trump and why you're news 24-hour news watching dad was exactly on point let me just like paint everyone a picture no spoilers (laughs) but pedro pascal is literally a businessman whose business is a con he is not nearly as rich as he claims that he is when we see his office when he finally does well it's all gold like like gold furniture gold detailing and his power essentially becomes the ability to convince people that he will make their greatest wishes come true and those people have no sense of the consequences or the actual intentions of this man and the last act of the film is him on television in front of a white house podium literally screaming to the world that he can make all their wishes come true and he is like the answer to all of their problems the image of pedro pascal of maxwell lord in front of the White House podium, screeching like that with some Donald Trump hair. He has a little bit of a Donald totally, Trump. Totally, the like blonde comb over. The blonde comb over that you know is just like that ain't right. Um, it was just so funny, and that was one of the things I also kind of liked about the film. Even though I don't really love all of the sort of political posturing that a lot of these films are, have projected upon them, that felt really comic booky to me too. Because comic books back in the day did used to have this sort of like allegorical thing about whether it's like Vietnam or Reagan or even earlier than that World War II like there was this sort of like very light touch approximation of what was happening in American culture and I kind of thought that stuff was was kind of interesting even if it was like both kind of like underwritten and overwritten at the same time yeah well I think a lot of times the reason it's obnoxious when movies do it is because it feels really preachy Whereas this didn't necessarily feel preachy. Like, weirdly, they don't ever make Maxwell Lord seem like a bad person. Right. There's a lot of humanity for him for for some reason. He's never, like, a bad guy. He's the guy doing bad in a lot of the movie. And it's because he's power hungry. But you never see him, like, shoot somebody in the head. You never see him, uh, like just ruin somebody's life for no reason he's always doing it for like himself for his family for his reputation and it's never like pure evil it's like it's like greed it's like naivete yeah yeah totally kind of it's almost like he has a problem more than he is a bad person totally he feels like a child like he feels like he's looking at the world so two-dimensionally or something he's a pretty good villain like i think that like oftentimes comic book movies and superhero movies die on the back of how good their villains are, which is why Batman is the greatest superhero of all time. You've heard it here first because it's the best rogues gallery of villains. And this was a villain that I really liked the same way. I liked Thanos. Like I felt like those last couple of Avengers films are so great because Thanos is actually a really like a villain that you care about and isn't just this monster. And he's like kind of an interesting villain. Yeah, I, I agree. He and Kristen Wiig are really my two high points and Gal Gadot. Really the three leads are like my highest, highest marks for the film. Yeah, the problems are the story and some of the effects. Like, I really just... 
I hated that first scene. I knew I was picking Jingle all the way 10 minutes into watching Wonder Woman. And that's the ultimate, ultimate review. (laughs) Yeah, because that first scene, it's just like she's hitting people and they're like flying through the air and they're going like, whoa. And like when they hit the wall, it's like, bing. It just didn't work for me at all. But the only critique I'll give of Maxwell Lord and it affected the story of the movie is just his motives are very unclear throughout. So, for example, with Thanos, you understand that Thanos feels like he is doing good for the world and it just comes at a high cost. Whereas Mm -hmm. with Maxwell Lord, most of the movie, I was just thinking, what is this guy's endgame? And then they never really reveal it and it's because there never really is an endgame. It's just like... I just want to totally. keep, keep getting power and just keep sucking the power of people. And then it's like, well, why? And I never totally. really understand why. I guess he just, it's just never enough, I suppose, is his character's thing. Totally. I think that's probably the most, and honestly, tragically, the only really 80s part of the movie other than like some of the fashion in the background, which is this greed is good, like Reagan type, like more, 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 more thing. Um I agree. It's sort of like a very small, big picture plan for a villain. Um, Joey has a very interesting double feature where it's also a pretty small plan on behalf of the villain, but a pretty interesting double feature. So, Davey, why don't we pass it off to Joey? I was stuck on a couch during a pandemic, so who was I to claim I didn't have 155 minutes? for the newest entry in the DC Extended Universe. But by the time the Amazonian Olympic opening jumped to Diana Prince Mall Cop, the prospect of so many more minutes became truly frightening. Full disclosure, I'm not the target audience for these movies. I loved the X-Men animated series as a kid, but was not an obsessive comic book collector. I preferred Magic the Gathering, thank you very much. I was the right age to have a Batman and Robin poster and to think Chris Nolan's Batman were cinema, but as Marvel expanded its universe, I aged out, which is fine. Don't make kids movies for 31-year-old childless men. But watching Wonder Woman 1984, along with my alternative pairing, I realized that it's not just me that got old and boring. To put on 1992's Batman Returns right after Patty Jenkins' new film is jarring. Both are DC sequels. Both feature a big bad named Max in the Trump mold and a feline character finding her power and unclear which side she wants to be on. But one is fun and weird and sexy and self-contained and the other only uses its 1980 setting to make a few jokes about eccentric suits. The problem of this era's superhero movie is twofold. The first is sexlessness. When you think of sex in Batman Returns, you think of Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer on a couch, but honestly, Danny DeVito as the shapeless sewer bird has more libido than the entirety of the MCU. Wonder Woman 1984 is actively sexless. We're meant to believe Diana fell in love with the pilot in 1918 and then pined for him for 66 years. The second is the bigger issue though, and that's scale. When every superhero film sets its stakes at humanity's survival, makes little things like sex and love and fun seem trivial. Batman Returns is about a shitty boss in a Gotham City mayoral race. Wonder Woman 1984 is about desire and absentee fathers and the Cold War and Western civilization and nothing at all. For the 1984 setting to work, we need to know about the intervening years. 
Did Diana step in and kill Hitler in 1933? How did that change the world order? Is she now redirecting her muted libido into policing the city of death? Has she lost her mind? These are questions you could ask if a movie like this lowered the stakes and took a chance. Keaton's Batman is a beautiful scumbag. Pfeiffer's Catwoman just wants to feel power for once. DeVito's Penguin wants his parents to love him, or at least fear him. If it were made today, Christopher Walken's power plant plot would actually be a factory making weapons of mass destruction. And the movie would be worse for it. Because when the stakes are the world, the small things become easy to ignore.